The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers with us. We're glad that part of your celebration of this day involves being in God's house and thanking God for the blessings he's given us through our mothers. I mean, mothers teach us so much about life, how to live and how to love, and especially how to navigate life in what's very often a broken world. And of course, it's the broken parts of this world that sometimes make your, quest- your children ask questions of their mother that are pretty hard. Like, how do you go about teaching your children that we live in a world that's been broken by sin? Because I tell you what, it won't take them very long to notice. They can look at the world around themselves, and they can see what you see. How do you explain it? You know, for the secular world, the people who don't believe in Jesus, they look at the broken parts of this world. They look at the presence of suffering or evil in our world, and, and they use it as another reason to disbelieve in the concept of God. Right, they, they're stuck in the horns of the dilemma that says, well, if you look at this world and the presence of evil in it, well, if you say that God is in control and God is good, one of those two things can't be true. Either God isn't totally in control or God isn't totally good because, I mean, look at the evil that's all around us. And that dilemma causes them to say, well, then I don't believe in God at all. Of course, that's a dilemma, a question that we're going to encounter more and more in this increasingly post-Christian society in which we live. And so I think it's a really important question for you and I as Christians to understand that if we're going to witness to people, there's going to be a hurdle there, a hurdle that we have to jump over to explain the presence of evil in a world that's wholly controlled by God, who is wholly and completely good, right? But the question for today maybe isn't, what does the unbelieving world see, and what does it do to their understanding of God if they say evil, see evil or suffering in the world? What about us? What about our, our children? What does that mean for believers? When you and I see evil or suffering in the world, what does that do to our understanding about God? Because, you know, we absolutely know, you and I believe, that God is most certainly good. And we also believe that God is most certainly in control of this world. We know that God did not create evil. We know that. Evil came about because of the devil and mankind's fall into sin. God didn't create evil. What evil is, is evil is the absence of the goodness of God. Right? It's not that God created evil. It's that we wouldn't know what evil was if real goodness didn't exist. Right? C.S. Lewis used to make this point. He said, a man couldn't tell that a line is crooked unless he's seen a straight line. In the same way, he said, shadows don't exist unless there's light. But light doesn't cause a shadow. Right? Light doesn't cause the shadow. The shadow is just the absence of light. Something got in the way of the light, but light doesn't create shadow. 
Right? Next time you're in a room with a light source behind you, light a match and hold it up and you'll see on the wall, you'll see the shadow of the match, but you will not see the shadow of the flame because light cannot create shadow. It just sh- indicates that shadow is the absence of light. His point was that God doesn't create evil, but evil is the absence of God's goodness. Right? We get that. We understand that God didn't create evil. But this is such an important topic because right now, in this room, we have people who are suffering. We know what it's like when bad news comes out of the blue. We know what it feels like when someone does something to you that hurts so much. When you get the news that's like a a wrench in your guts. When you fall down in prayer to your Heavenly Father and your first question is why. We know what that feels like. And our problem, though, our problem as Christians usually isn't understanding that, uh, that bad things happen out there. We get that. We even usually can understand that bad things can happen to good people. We understand that, too. A few years ago, I was on the phone with my parents. There was an ice storm up in Michigan and I was encouraging them, please just don't go out. You're retired. You don't have to leave anywhere. Just stay. And they did. One of their friends did go out, slipped on the ice, hit his head, and at age 64, he went to heaven. He was a good man. A bad thing happened to a good man. We can even understand that. The real issue is, uh, if we're honest, the big questions come is when something bad happens to me. Right? I can conceive of the fact that bad things are out there. We live in a broken world and bad things can happen to good people. But when bad things happen to me, that's when we start asking the question that's really at the root of it all. Why did this happen to me, Lord? I'm your child. I believe in you. I'm faithful to you. Why did this happen to me? Have you asked that question in the last year, or the last month, or the last week? Why does this happen to me, Lord? I'm your child. Here's the thing, though. If you've asked that question in the last year, or week, or month, you had every right to. You had every right to ask that question, precisely because you believe that there's someone there to answer. You are not like the unbelievers of this world who don't believe that a God exists who is holy, good, and holy in control. You believe he does. And so when something bad happens to you, you've got every right to ask that question. Why, Lord? Why did this happen to me? I'm your child. I'm your follower. I'm me. There was a good man in our reading that had bad things happen to him too. His name was Paul. And he was God's missionary to the Gentile, to the Gentile world. And uh, Paul was a man who Christ called him to faith and freed him from his past. Paul had started out as a persecutor of the church. But Christ called him to faith, freed him from the guilt of his past, and then sent him out into the world with the message of Jesus and the resurrection. And Paul did it, man. He crisscrossed the Roman Empire. He preached. He taught. He lived it. He called people from unbelief to faith. Churches were built through the testimony and the work of the Holy Spirit through Paul's ministry. 
from one end to the other. And then on top of that, Paul was given, he was given a vision of heaven. In the words right before our reading this morning, he's given a vision of heaven no one has ever had before. He learned things inexpressible, unsurpassed revelations, the kind of things that could fill you with pride. And it's about then that, that it hit when the bad thing happened to a good man. Paul called it uh, my thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it seems like it was some physical affliction, some kind of something that uh, disabled him in some way, that he felt like it was impacting his ministry, slowing him down. And Paul asked the question, that most personal question you and I maybe ask in the last year, in the last month, the last week. Why would this happen to me, Lord? Why to me? Paul said three times he pleaded with God to take away the thorn in the flesh. And I I think we could probably imagine that Paul had some pretty good rationale to share with God in his prayer life saying, this is why, Lord, you should take this out of my life. You know, what could they be? Uh, Lord, if you take away this thorn, think about how much more I could travel for you and share the gospel for you. Lord, if you take away this thorn, just think about all the energy I could put into sharing the message. But you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. Paul had every reason to ask the question precisely because he believed what you and I believe, that God is wholly good and God is totally in control of this world. So it's really interesting the two things that Paul said about this thorn in the flesh. Right? Two things. The first thing he said was, God gave it to him. And the second thing is, he said, it was also a messenger of Satan to torment me. Here's a really important truth. God and Satan can concur on an act with absolutely opposite intentions. Let me say that again. God and Satan can concur on an act with absolutely opposite intentions right god paul said here allowed suffering to come into my life and satan concurred god might allow some suffering or hardship to come in your life and this means satan goes that's a fast that's a fantastic idea god yes schrader could use a little suffering right now do that they can concur on the action but have absolutely opposite intentions involved. God allowed the thorn of the flesh to come into Paul's life, but it became a messenger of Satan for him. And what Satan did was try to use that thorn to make Paul question God's love for him and question God's promises. He does the same thing to you and me with the broken parts of this world that come into our life. When you get that news, or you feel that hurt, or you get that diagnosis, or you have that problem, the devil's going to try to do two things with you. First thing he's going to do when something bad happens in your life, he's going to try to convince you or get you to question God's love for you. I don't know if God really is watching out for you as much as he used to. seems like God's not paying attention because... You're hurting, and where's God when it hurts? And if that doesn't work, then he'll try to do the second thing, where he tries to get you to question God's forgiveness. Because what he'll say is, you know what? 
bad things don't really happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And that's why this happened to you. Turns out, God's paying you back for that thing you did, for that way you lived, for that person you were. This is God letting you know that what goes around comes around. Do you think Paul ever wondered if the thorn was payback for his past? He was a persecutor of the church. You think Satan wasn't tormenting him with that thought? That God's going to pay you back. You're going to get what's yours. Here's the thing, when the broken parts of this world with its jagged edges suddenly make an unwanted intrusion into our life, that's exactly what Satan's going to try to do to you and try to do to me. He's going to tell you this, this suffering is because you're not the person you tell others that you are. You're just not. And what goes around comes around. So get ready. Here's a really important point to go along with the first one. There's no such thing as karma. Not how God works. If brother or sister, if you are suffering today, or you're hurting, or you've got a struggle in your life, or if you're sad, or if you just feel it coming, know this. God says there is nothing that's bad in your life Nothing that's bad in your life is payback for your sins or for something you've done. Nothing. And when we try to insist on that in our emotional state, what are we saying? We're saying, oh, because God has said every one of your past sins has been paid for in the blood of the Son of God. What are we trying to say? That that wasn't sufficient? That I've got to pay for a little bit too? God says every bit of your sin has been paid for. So if something bad is happening in your life, it's not because of your past sins. God does not work on karma. And if you want proof of that, if you want proof there's no such thing as karma, he points again to the cross and he takes the one man, the one best man, who never carried guilt, who never broke his promises, who never wrecked or ruined something, who never failed, who was always faithful and hopeful and joyful, the one man who should have no bad karma in the whole world, he points to him on the cross and seeing the absolute worst possible thing happening to him. The Holy Son of God being crucified for sinners. If God worked on karma, absolutely nothing bad should have happened to that man. Right? But instead, the absolute worst thing happened to him. Now think about this. When you see the Holy Son of God crucified for sinners, it looks like the worst thing in the world. Like the worst injustice you could ever imagine. But what's truly going on there? What's the true nature of what's happening there? God takes the worst possible thing in the world and he turns it into the greatest gift he could ever offer to you personally. Someone who doesn't deserve any of it for talking karma. God takes the worst possible thing and turns it into the greatest possible gift for you. God does not work on karma. No, God works in this amazing thing called grace. That's what he meant when Paul asked the question he had every right to ask, and he heard this answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Paul's thorn in the flesh, it seemed like it was only a messenger from Satan. But that is not all it was. What God told this hurting Christian was that even that was a gift from his father. God and Satan can concur on an act, but have absolutely opposite motives behind it. Satan wanted to use that thorn to destroy Paul's faith. God's plan was to refine Paul's faith like gold in a fire. And God answers Paul here, and he told him that suffering, sadness, the broken parts of your life, they are not a sign of God's disfavor. Instead, God promises even to use what looks awful to bring us closer to him. And it reminds us that the weaker we are, the more room we have for God to be strong in our life. God answered Paul because he knew one day you and I too would have reason to ask that question. And God's grace is greater than any thorn. God's glory is greater than any trouble. God's plans are better than any of our plots or our pleadings. And God's future is better than our present. God's power achieves its goal in our weakness. When Paul realized that, well, that cleared his mind, that tempered his feelings, that steeled his soul. I'll be the first one to tell you that sometimes we will never know why God might allow something to come into our life. Why did you get cancer? I don't know. Why did, uh, why did the one you loved die far earlier than you wanted? I don't know. Why, why did they hurt you like that? I, I don't know. Those questions are way above my pay grade. But I do know this. The God who could take the worst thing in the world and turn it into God's greatest gift, that God will not leave you in your time of suffering. He will not leave you. Why did this happen to me? God answered Paul once, said you can have the answer to the questions you ask. And we rejoice, even in our weakness, because we know that the God who did that, no matter what the suffering is in our life, he will not leave us to go through it alone. And he's promised us, promised us that one day he's going to fix it all. You have every reason to ask the question because you believe in a God who's holy good and holy in control of your life, a God who's ready to be with you in the broken parts of this world, refine your faith like gold, and to be strong whenever you're weak. God grant it. Amen.